Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week 8 saw one team, James Madison, stay undefeated. Another, Georgia State, secure bowl eligibility and plenty of movement up and down the Sunbelt standings. South Alabama mauled Southern Miss on Tuesday night in Mobile. James Madison remained perfect thanks to a defensive masterpiece on Thursday versus Marshall. Georgia Southern survived a second-half scare to down ULM. Old Dominion secured the program's first-ever win over App State. Coastal Carolina won in Jonesboro despite losing Grayson McCall for the fourth quarter, while Georgia State escaped Lafayette with a narrow win over Louisiana. Today on episode 135 of the show, it's time to recap week eight. We'll break down the biggest moments from the past week of Sunbelt football and look at some of the key storylines as we look forward to week nine. Caden, this was a great week of ball. Every game was competitive except for one. Yes, we're looking at you, Southern Miss. Give me your biggest takeaways from week eight. You took the words out of my mouth, Noah. It's the competitiveness of this league. I think the parity across all of college football is at a different height this year. And I think in the Sunbelt Conference, I think we're really in the golden age of the Sunbelt as far as what we're seeing on a weekly basis as far as which teams can compete. I mean, we're looking at teams that are at the bottom of our power rankings playing excellent football and staying in there and hanging in there against some of the conference toughest top competition, some of those teams leaving their their home fields with wins. So I think when you look at this conference right now, I think it's genuinely anybody can be anybody league. If you don't bring your A game, if you mess up in a couple areas, if you slip up and make some mistakes at the wrong times, at the wrong quarters, in the wrong stadiums, bad things can happen to any team in this conference. So I think right now, just on a weekly basis, watching this conference really just grow in front of our eyes with the new additions and that just heightened elevated level of ball right now, have to be happy with just the level of play we've seen every game at halftime. I was waiting to get back and watch the second half of these games because they were usually tight. And even if they weren't tight, teams started storming back like a ULM we saw. So just a great brand of ball from across the conference, great quarterback play, great defense, and just overall loving the state of where the conference is right now. Caden, to further that point, at this point, I would be willing to die on the hill that this is the most competitive conference in college football. I think the results certainly back that up. Well, like we do every Monday, we'll start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week eight. Then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at some of the top games from the weekend. We'll start with South Alabama versus Southern Miss, Caden. This game took place on Tuesday night in Mobile. South Alabama, 17-point favorite. They won it by 52. This was a dominant showing. South Alabama scored the first 34 points in this game. The only USM points were a 32-yard field goal by Andrew Stein with 540 to go in the third quarter. LaDamian Webb ran for 102 yards and four touchdowns, three in that first half. Carter Bradley, a huge performance. South Alabama finishes with a program record 647 yards of offense. The defense held Southern Miss to just 149 yards and just one of 13 on third down. USA, don't look now, Caden, tied for first in the Sunbelt West. They're four and three. Southern Miss, one and six. They'll have to win out to get to a bowl game, not liking their chances right now. Marshall James Madison on Thursday night in Huntington. The Dukes, a four-point favorite. They win this one 20 to nine. This one, Caden, was a heavyweight fight, a defensive brawl of sorts. It was 3-2. to two. When's the last time you saw that scoreline with 11.57 to go in the third quarter? We saw some magical play from Jordan McLeod in the second half. He had a six-yard touchdown run to end the third quarter, added a 28-yard touchdown to Reggie Brown to begin the fourth. We saw nine sacks and 21 TFLs total between these two defenses. JMU held a Rasheen Ali Les Marshall to negative four yards on the ground, and the Dukes remained undefeated. They're 7-0. Marshall 
might have seen their championship hopes disappear. They're four and three now on the season. Georgia Southern ULM in Statesboro. Georgia Southern a 16 and a half point favorite. They would not cover the spread in this game. ULM continuing their strong run of peskiness. This was an odd game. We saw ULM, they landed the first punch, but then Georgia Southern scores 31 unanswered points to end that first half. They led 31 to seven at the half. ULM then scores 21 straight points, Caden. We saw that as we were watching this game to make it 31-28, but Tyrell Davis with a big pick six with 48 seconds remaining to seal it. The freshman, Blake Murphy, the quarterback for ULM, had an excellent day, 320 yards and a touchdown. Jalen White came up big for Georgia Southern with a career high, 164 yards and two touchdowns, making up for Davis Brin in the offensive's collective bad day. Georgia Southern now a win from bowl eligibility. They're five and two. ULM two and five on the season. Old Dominion, App State, and Norfolk. Uh, disappointing one for the uh, boys from Boone. App a six and a half point favorite. They lose by seven. Seesaw type game. App and ODU traded touchdowns in the first half. ODU led 17 to 14 at the half after Ethan Sanchez hit a 47 yarder to end the second quarter. App took the lead with 4.03 to go in the third quarter on Aguilar's second touchdown throw of the game. It was a beauty to Caden Robinson. Deshaun Wicks, though, gave ODU the lead for good with 48 seconds left on a 16-yard touchdown scamper. ODU threw for 188 yards. They ran for 221. Callaway had another 100-yard day. Caden Robinson and Kanye Roberts had big days for App, but ultimately not enough. The Mountaineers fall to 3-4. and four. ODU 3-1. and one. Caden, I think we got to start paying attention to the Monarchs at this point. They're 4-3. and three. Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina in Jonesboro. Coastal Carolina, nine-point favorite. They win this one by 10. It was a strong performance by the Shawna Clears. Grayson McCall had a second straight great performance. Coastal led 17-3 to three at the half, but... Scary moment in the fourth quarter. McCall ends up going to the hospital after a dangerous hit that I think should have been targeting. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jared Guest had a rushing touchdown to cap off a 10-0 run to seal the win. Jalen Rayner in the loss. Big performance, 358 yards of total offense and two touchdowns, but did throw two key interceptions. Picked off by Shane Bruce and Tobias Fletcher, which ultimately proved to be the difference. Coastal Carolina now 4-3. and three. They're heading home after a three-game road trip. Arkansas State hitting at 3-4. and four. Louisiana, Georgia State in Lafayette. Louisiana, two-and-a-half-point favorites, and they would lose this game to Georgia State, 20-17. to 17. An outstanding game. The QB duel that we talked about, Kane, lived up to the hype. Chris and Granger both had huge performances. Georgia State scored the first 20 points, didn't score again. The defense had a huge stop on the 10-yard line late in the fourth quarter to preserve the win. Carroll and Granger combined for 339 yards and two touchdowns, and Georgia State improves to 6-1, and one, becoming bowl eligible for the fourth time in five years. Louisiana falls to 4-3 and three on the season. A couple of quick superlatives, Caden. James Madison, 7-0, and oh, remained undefeated and became the first Sunbelt school to be ranked in the AP Top 25 poll this season. Georgia State is the first Sunbelt school to become bowl eligible this year. Georgia Southern, Texas State, and Troy all at 5-2. and two. We're going to have a chance to do it in Week 9. Homeschools go 3-3 three and three this weekend. The Sunbelt continues to be a tough bet this year. They go 3-3 three and three against the spread in Week 8. Caden, okay, let's jump into some of these matchups. We'll start with James Madison and Marshall, the game that took place on Thursday night. This one, a defensive slugfest we saw. Rasheen Ali, he did not play in this game. It was 3-2 to two with 11.57 left in the third quarter. 
Jalen Green tied the school record with five sacks. Jam, you had eight in this game. Jordan McLeod, gutsy performance that included two touchdowns and 330 yards of offense to secure the win for JMU, who stayed undefeated. Caden, it only took two week eight for the national voters to wake up. They've ranked JMU number 25 in the coaches poll, number 25 in the AP poll. Many thought this should have been ranked a lot earlier this year. Why does this team deserve to be ranked right now, Cato? It's definitely been a long time coming for this team. I think we're definitely in the collective that think this team deserved to be ranked a little bit earlier. But just finally them coming out on a national stage, showing what they do best and why they should be ranked, I think, was just what kind of set probably the voters over the edge, watching the kind of dominant performance they were able to have, especially defensively against this Marshall squad. I don't think it's ridiculous at all to call this the best defensive line in all of college football. And I think that's why they've kind of deserved this ranking. I mean, they lead the country in sacks right now with 34 on the season for the best rush defense in the country. And right now holding teams to 36 yards per game on the ground, those are both absolutely unheard of. And if you really look at defensive success and what makes great teams great, a lot of that is what James Madison does. I mean, if you look at all the teams that are trailing behind James Madison, those are great teams too. A couple undefeated teams in that spot. So I think when you look at kind of the most important position and group as far as winning football games outside of the quarterback position and the offensive line. You have to look to the defensive line, the defensive front in college football today. And what James Madison is capable of sets them up perfectly to continue to be successful like we've seen. I mean, against Marshall, they sacked a mobile quarterback in Cam Fancher eight times. They took advantage of Rashina Ali not being in the lineup, holding them to just 62 yards on the ground. Their offense showed an incredible amount of toughness at the end of this game. They really closed out the game and finished it strong despite playing against a defense that kind of showed that they're back to that kind of peak defensive form in Marshall. The only points this, this defense gave up in this game were on a safety and on a kickoff return for a touchdown. So they had an absolute dogfight in this game. They had a shutout performance as a defense, and I think that's something we could see translate against all of the nation's top competition that you mentioned to me texting on the phone that this is a team that beat Virginia and Virginia goes to Chapel Hill and beats a number of 10 ranked North Carolina team. So I think that only helps the James Madison resume right now. But I think when you just looked at this game, they played in the style of, of ball they've played. I think there was 15 punts in this game. This is a defensive dogfight. Not every team in the country is cut out to win games like that. this. We've seen a lot of the nation's top teams who are maybe more predicated on offense not really be able to thrive in games like this when you kind of have to play exclusively on your own side of the field. I mean, this game had 15 punts. You have to give a shout out to Ryan Hansen, JMU's punter, who had seven inside the 20 and multiple inside of the five and 10 yard line as well. And he kind of forced this Marshall team to drive 90 yards down the field on multiple occasions, which is very hard to do against this JMU defense. Marshall's punter, give credit to him. Joshua McConnell did the same thing to Marshall, to James Madison's offense, but they were able to move the chains just enough times to prevail and kind of prove the guttiness and the grittiness and the championship level and caliber of this team as a whole. So I think all of that kind of paints the picture as to why James Madison should be ranked, and I'm glad they're finally ranked for sure. Kane, to your point, I feel like this was probably Pat McAfee's favorite game of the weekend. And one more quick point to what you just said. The fact that JMU stats are not on the NCAA.com, it is absurd at this point. That needs to happen. That's the least that could happen at this point. Caden, after three poor performances, this Marshall defense showed some much-needed signs of life. They had six TFLs, had a big interception. They also had that safety that we saw. Despite missing several of their starters, this had to be a welcome sign for Jason Seymour in this Marshall defense, Cato. Yeah, especially surprising just given they're playing James Madison and giving that they were losing some of their best players on defense. I mean, after three weeks of giving up 40-plus points on defense, they finally responded in a major way at home with their backs against the wall. They limited their mistakes a ton. They had a first-half shutout. They scored on that safety, like you mentioned. They had six or seven TFLs in this game, really flying around and pushing this James Madison team back. And I think 
outside of their pass rushing ability they have with the Dukes. You can really say that this Marshall defense played neck and neck with that James Madison defense at the same level for a majority of this game, especially in the first half. I mean, they're lining up Owen Porter everywhere, which I love. You can see him at inside linebacker on third downs, rushing off of the edge. They're putting him everywhere. Micah Abraham gets his hands on an interception in this game. When you have those best players playing well as a defense, that's kind of what we saw early in the season with Marshall in a ton last season. So you like to see them get back to that level. But ultimately, in games like this, defensive battles, they come down to a few plays. And James Madison's offense was just able to make a handful of those plays that were a difference in the second half. It all started in the second quarter when Jordan McLeod riffs off that 47-yard run that puts this team in position to get a field goal without that James Madison is held to under 100 yards in this game. The 53-yard bomb to Reggie Brown when that drive started on the one-yard line really helped this team get another field goal. And then at the end of the game, Jordan McLeod kind of just took over. He made various big plays, especially on third down, was able to score two touchdowns for this team. And ultimately, that's just where the game was decided. So outside of the last games we've seen Marshall plays where you can point to multiple reasons why they were getting scored on, you can only hand point to a handful of reasons why this team didn't win this game. They played probably 90% of this game as a flawless defense. And just a couple of those plays and a couple bad breaks was the reason they lost. So they weren't really outmatched or outmanned. They just played a great defensive game and James Madison just played a little bit better. So you can't really hang your hat if you're a Marshall fan. You love to see the defense bouncing back and hopefully as a team, they can continue to bounce back moving forward. Caden, when you talk about James Madison in this game, defense, once again, the talking point, and it should be, they gave up just 169 yards. They held a Rasheen Ali less Marshall to negative four yards rushing in this game, including negative 28 yards in the second half. They finished with eight sacks and 15 TFLs. Jalen Green had five, as I mentioned earlier. But, Caden, it was Jordan McLeod's grittiness that propelled this team to victory. I don't know about you, but what McLeod has done over the past couple of weeks, it's been impressive. Yeah, James Madison's defense has gotten a lot of love on this podcast, a lot of love nationally, and they deserve it. And you mentioned it. I mean, they had a lights-out game getting after the quarterback, headlined by Jalen Green, who had an amazing performance. But when you look at why they won this game, I think it comes down to Jordan McLeod. I think this is a Jordan McLeod legacy game in my book. You talk about battling adversity. I mean, this offense was held scoreless in the first half. They rarely got good field position. Marshall's defense was playing lights out. They start the second half on their own one-yard line and get a safety. And Jordan McLeod just immediately responded from that point forward. He starts on his one-yard line again, responds by trying to hit Reggie Brown on a deep ball. They get the pass interference call, and then he finds him yet again on the next play with a 53-yard deep hitting shot. And I think two plays after that, maybe one or two plays after that, he gets hurt, goes down. Billy Atkins has to come in. They kind of will themselves into another field goal. Billy Atkins completed one pass, but then threw a screen right into the dirt. You could kind of feel the momentum changing in the game if Jordan wasn't going to be there for the remainder of the ball game. But he comes back in and plays even better than he played when he started getting momentum going. I mean, he went out there, just, let, just led back-to-back touchdown drives. He had a ton of gutsy running plays and scrambles for first downs. He hit Surratt on an amazing third down completion where he was getting c- draped down and sacked in the moment. Just a really gutsy performance from him. And I think now looking forward, just a great finish from this guy. I guarantee it earned the respect of his offense and his entire team and probably his fan base moving forward. Just a great finish and a great kind of championship effort from Jordan McLeod that I think deserves a lot of recognition despite how great this defensive played. I think he was the one that really elevated this team to a win when both defenses were playing so solid. Well, the 25th-ranked Dukes, Caden, they head back to Harrisonburg. They're going to host Old Dominion, who's sitting at 3-1 and one in Sunbelt Conference play, coming off their first-ever win over App State. That game will be a primetime matchup on ESPNU next Saturday. Meanwhile, Marshall, they make the trip down to Conway, the site of their bowl victory last year. They'll look to jumpstart their season against a suddenly hot coastal team that's won two games in a row. 
Second matchup, Caden. This one was the late game, Georgia State-Louisiana, and it was Georgia State that came out on top 20-17. to 17. This one was electric. Georgia State scored 20 points in the span of nine minutes in the second quarter. Those were the only points they got in this game. UL scored 17 straight behind the play of Kabodi and Chris, but it was Gavin Pringle who picked off Zeon Chris in the end zone with under a minute to secure the win for Georgia State who's off to their best start, uh, and they are now bowl eligible after seven games. Caden, we hyped up this quarterback battle on Friday's preview, Zeon Chris versus Darren Granger, and man, did it live up to the hype. Granger finishes with 229 yards of offense in two touchdowns despite missing time in the second quarter. Does look like Georgia State dodged a bullet there. Chris didn't have his best day passing 106 yards and just 50% completion, but made up for it on the ground, 17 rushes. For 119 yards, seven yards per carry, but did throw that costly interception. This was the matchup we dreamed about, Caden, and it delivered. Yeah, it's a very interesting kind of thing to highlight this game as the quarterback battle, just because like the Marshall game, this was a defensive dogfight that was highlighted by the defense. I mean, and because of that, the ability for both of these quarterbacks to maneuver around these defenses to kind of create some offense is really what kind of sealed the deal in this game and really determined the outcome. I mean, there were 11 punts in this game. Both defenses played lights out, but these quarterbacks were able to step up in little short bursts and key moments of this game to really elevate their squads. I think it's almost a tale of two halves and two quarterbacks, as you mentioned. Darren wasn't as much of a threat with his legs as we thought, and that probably has to do with the fact that he did take that hard hit and had to miss some time in the second quarter. But in that second quarter, where this offense was cooking and got those 20 points, he was on an absolute heater. He was playing super efficient in those drives, finding all his targets underneath and over the top. Obviously, Marcus Carroll is going to compliment him in the run game, and he was able to find Amon Green for his first two touchdowns of the season. You love to see them utilizing the tight end there out of Atlanta. So I think they got some good things going in those two drives, and he got that third drive going before he ultimately went down with that injury. Mikhail Kosar was able to finish off that drive, but when he returned, he wasn't able to give this offense points. Like the second half, they were obviously shut out. But the ability for Granger to kind of get the chains moving and get set it up to where Zeon, Chris, and that offense were still able to get put in field position where they had to drive was really where this game was won and lost. I think both, quarter, both quarterbacks did a great job of kind of getting some momentum going. And even if the drive wasn't ending like the way they wanted to with a kick, they were still able to flip the field position a lot and make both offenses work for it. Zeon was in a very similar situation. We know this kid just really loved the way he was able to move the chains in this game with his legs, especially in this game. His arm was great too, but this Panthers defense was stubborn. I mean, they didn't put points on the board until they were giving kind of their first short field of the day off that fumble before the first half. But like I said, like Georgia State and Granger, three straight scoring drives for Zeon Chris to kind of bring his team back into this game. He leads them in rushing, like you mentioned, which was huge for this defense that was super stingy. And then at the end of the game, he leads a 11-play, 73-yard drive that everyone kind of got flashbacks of that Texas State comeback and kind of felt like, wow, this kid might lead yet another comeback and another big moment at home. You hate to see it end, unfortunately, with that costly turnover to Pringle. But just a, a great moment, I think, for this young quarterback to learn. His back was against the wall. He proved he could do it against Texas State. He proved he could just get right there and do it again in this game. But I think looking forward now, you could just see Zeon growing before our eyes. I think he's going to have a very Granger-esque career and get to that point where he's the veteran quarterback maybe who's closing out games the way that Darren was able to in this one. But just a great quarterback battle. And just shout out to both of these guys for really being able to maneuver and get some offense going despite the defenses playing lights out in this ballgame. Caden, I don't know about you. I already want to submit my ballot. I feel like Zeon Chris is going to be the freshman of the year in the conference this year. I also want to say, you know, if you're a JMU fan listening right now, go ahead and plug your ears because Georgia State, they're the early favorite in the East. They're 6-1. and one. They're bowl eligible now. 3-1 and one in Sunbelt play this season. 
Caden, they might have the league's best quarterback and running back duo. The defense has been outstanding lately. This Georgia State team looks like they have one goal in mind, and that's a Sunbelt title. Yeah, I think when you look in the East outside of James Madison, just on a quarter-to-quarter basis, I think they've played really the best ball when you look at their offense and defense playing complementary along with the special teams. Their defense has been taking care of business in a major way lately. They've been limiting teams from scoring and running the ball with ease, which has been kind of huge indicators of success. I think when you look in this conference lately, if you can keep teams off the scoreboard and off being effective on the ground, they can take you a long way. And it's taken this team a long way on this winning streak they've kind of created. You mentioned it, Granger and Carroll, who put up 100 plus, Carroll, who put 100 plus up yet again. They aren't unstoppable. I'm not going to call them that because of the game we saw against Troy, but they are so consistent. And I think definitely now the best duo in the conference. And you pair that with an offensive line that's playing out of their mind. They're protecting Darren even better than they did last year. They're creating rush lanes for Carroll to operate in. Their weapons on the outside, despite losing Jamari Thrash this offseason, still have a litany of weapons and wide receivers who have been making big plays both over the top and underneath of coverage this year. Just You have to love the kind of swagger, this energy that this team has now, this new feel they have that we talked to Darren about in our interview a little bit. Their schedule only gets harder moving forward, but you just have to love the offensive and defensive momentum I think they've generated in Atlanta if you're a Georgia State fan coming into a huge rivalry game in their next matchup. Caden, meanwhile, for Louisiana, the loss drops them to four and three. They're one and two in Sunbelt play this year. They've shown some signs, in my opinion, to be a potential championship caliber football team. Might be a year away. Does this loss kind of dampen their outlook the rest of the way? I don't think it should at all. I think if like it'd, it'd be like if they lost the game against Texas State in that comeback effort. They have nothing to be ashamed of. This was a tough, close loss, which I think we'll continue to see in this conference this year more than any other year. I think legitimately just getting wins. They're not going to see some team other than maybe James Madison just go out here and just destroy teams left and right. I think every game in this conference just about is going to be competitive. It's going to be close. And they just weren't able to pull this one out. And I think more than ever, you have your young stud quarterback that's put you in a position yet again to win the game. You can't be mad about that. A lot of teams would beg for that scenario against this Panthers team that's shown a lot of promise this year. The only thing you could critique maybe for Louisiana is maybe starting off offensively a little bit more aggressively as a style of play just because they've had to come back a little bit in their last couple games. The defense has been superb. They weren't as great as they could have been on third down, but that's just what happens when you face a veteran dual threat quarterback who's just a great decision maker. That's going to happen from time to time. But the fact that this game was kept close throughout, the fact that this team was able to battle with a young team that I think is still overachieving, they already scare me next year. I think if they bring back as many guys as I think they will next year, they'll be even better and take their game to another level. I still think they're overachieving. They stack up great against good competition, and we'll really see how they stack up against South Alabama next week. So I think the vibes should still be high and still be good in Lafayette despite suffering this tough loss. As you mentioned, Louisiana, they head a couple hours east to play a red-hot South Alabama offense that scored 110 points in their last two games on Saturday. And, Kane, what I think is one of the sneaky best matchups in Week 9, Georgia State, they're going to play on Thursday in Statesboro, Georgia, as they renew arguably the best-named rivalry in college sports modern-day hate uh, with Georgia Southern. Let's move on to our third matchup, Caden, South Alabama Southern Miss. Uh, This was a lopsided game. South Alabama, they scored 34 unanswered points to open the game. LaDamian Webb has three first-half touchdown runs, part of a four-touchdown performance for him. South Alabama had a program record 647 yards of offense. This was their largest margin of victory over an FBS opponent. South Alabama, their defense held Southern Miss to just 149 yards of offense, and they've now scored 110 points in their last two games. What a turnaround for the Jags. Caden, for the second straight week, South Alabama, they've looked like the team many of us expected to see this year. 
They've done exactly what they needed to do these last two weeks against ULM and Southern Miss. They're currently tied with Texas State and Troy at the top of the West. And don't look now. It seems like South Alabama's putting everything together, Caden. Should the rest of the West be scared of the Jags right now? I don't think they should necessarily be scared, but they should definitely be put on notice. I mean, the fact that this team has now two weeks in a row handled business absolutely the way they should against some of the conferences, lesser competition really shows that maybe they're starting to show signs of bouncing back and avoiding some of the inconsistent play we saw in the beginning of the season. We'll definitely find out in this upcoming stretch they have. I mean, they end the season with games against Louisiana, Troy, Marshall at Texas State. They have a tough slate and they're definitely going to have to prove they can translate them being able to take business against some of the lesser competition and translate that into playing teams better moving forward and better competition moving forward. But man, you just have to love what you saw if you're a South Alabama fan. This is the most dominant performance we've seen in the conference this season by far, maybe ever that I've seen in the conference when you just look at how bad Southern Miss looked versus how great South Alabama looked. You talked about Damian Webb getting four touchdowns in this game, just looking like a grown man amongst boys when he had the ball in his hands. Carter Bradley looked as efficient as ever per usual. Cullen Lacey had 100 yards yet again. I really like what I saw from Jamal Pritchett in this game with 122 yards, really effective for the speed, making guys miss in open space. I think he could play maybe that Jared Brown role we've seen at Coastal as far as his ability to get the ball in space and make people miss. And then defensively, I mean, the secondary played their best game of the year. They were lights out. They got pressure on Billy Wilds left and right. This team looked absolutely dominant in this performance, and I think that's how they were supposed to look, but you couldn't imagine them looking this great against another college football team within their conference. But I think moving forward, the real test is going to be how they've play and how do they fare against some of the conference's best teams because we still haven't seen yet how they how they can possibly beat and play well against some better teams in the west and really just across the entire conference yeah that'll be fascinating to see Caden and to your point on the other side of this matchup there are some huge problems right now in Hattiesburg it feels like they've reached a bit of a tipping point Will Hall kind of admitted as much in his midweek radio spot He's going to hand over the play calling to offensive coordinator Sam Gregg and Jordy Joseph the quarterback coach Paul himself is going to move into more of a CEO role over this program. Kane, much like another head coach we're going to talk about next, it feels like Hall's leash might not be very long at this point. Yeah, just opposite trajectory when you're looking at both of these teams in this matchup. I mean, even South Alabama in the third quarter and the fourth quarter when they were playing some of their backups, they had some really promising guys in depth. You saw Gio Lopez play great at the quarterback position, a multitude of running backs taking advantage of their opportunities. This team at South Alabama didn't look like they were just going to be good for the rest of the season, but the rest of the next couple of years under Kane Womack, you could say the absolute opposite about the Southern Miss team. I mean, your quarterbacks as a whole going seven for 20 in a college football game in today's era of college football is just unacceptable. You just can't have that. Frank Gore was their leading receiver out of the backfield with two catches and 22 yards. They couldn't run the ball at all. And anytime they did get something positive going, they would shoot themselves in a the foot. You run a fake punt and it works, call it back for a penalty. You finally convert a third down, it gets called back for a penalty. It's one of the worst performances I've seen in Sunbelt football history. They have to fix something. Thankfully, it sounds like they're trying to fix something on the offensive side of the ball with a new play caller. But defensively, with their secondary being as undermanned as they are right now, I don't know if they're going to be able to get enough help in enough different areas as an entire roster to show any kind of flash and glimmer of promise this year. This team went one for 13 on third down. They only had 150 yards of total offense in the entire game. Just not a good spot to be in if you're in Southern Miss. You didn't expect, you could have expected maybe the season going a little bit sideways, taking a step back, maybe having a quarterback take a step forward for you as a program. But this absolute giant leap back is just not what you expect from Will Hall in this gang. And I think it's good that they're trying to change things up, but I think they should prepare themselves if they do change things up and things don't go the way they plan. Maybe they have to make even bigger changes this offseason as an entire program, just with their philosophy and how to win games, because it looks like they've just absolutely forgotten how to win them. 
Well, Southern Miss, they're going to make the long trip to Boone, North Carolina, where they'll face a below 500 App State team in front of a sold-out Creed Brewer Stadium. South Alabama welcomes Louisiana, who's sitting at 1-2 and two in Sunbelt play. The Raging Cajuns coming off a 20-17 to 17 loss to Georgia State. South Alabama welcomes them to Mobile for what I think is one of the best matchups of next weekend. Caden, moving on, Old Dominion App State. It was the Monarchs that walked away with a 28-21 win over the Mountaineers. This was a back-and-forth battle. Joey Aguilar had a, a huge first half, but it was ODU that led 17-14 at the half after Ethan Sanchez hit from 47 yards out as time expired. They traded the lead in the third and fourth quarter. ODU's running backs had a huge day. Callaway ran for 82 yards, and Keyshawn Wicks had the go-ahead touchdown with 48 seconds left. And don't look now, Old Dominion now tied with Georgia State for second in the Sunbelt East. Caden, when you look at this ODU team, there was not many people talking about them in the preseason. Vegas had their over-under at three and a half. They've already exceeded that. They've beaten Louisiana. They went toe-to-toe with Wake Forest. Now they take down App State. This team does not have a conventional offense, but the defense probably has not been talked about enough this year. They're tied with Georgia State for second in the East right now. It feels like it's time to start talking about the job that Ricky, Ronnie, and this staff are doing in Norfolk. Yeah, we were definitely kind of blinded by their inconsistencies and what we saw in the beginning of the season with their unpredictability on offense. But I think it's clear now they have an identity and it's clear now that I know their conference wins when we probably look back at the season, it's not going to be the most impressive resume up until this point. But you have to take your you have to take your hat off to them and give them their props for taking care of business and conference play this year. And I think you could argue outside of James Madison, this conference, if this ODU team comes to play, they can beat anybody in the conference. Their defense plays hard, like you mentioned. If you put the ball in the hands of any rusher, you have to get by Jason Henderson, Terry Jones, Wayne Matthews, and Sean Asbury, who are four of the conference's five leading tacklers at the linebacker and safety spots. That's just absolutely crazy. That's knockdown football. That's aggressive football. And you love to see it from their defense, who was hung out to dry a lot more than they were this season or last season than they were this year. They're getting a lot more help from their offense. And I think as a result, that's why we're getting to see them make some big plays and come up and rise to the occasion and win some games for this team. And their offensive scheme They've kind of figured out the recipe and they know what they're doing. They have these light boxes with their wide splits of the wide receiver positions, which allow their running backs to operate. Kadarius Callaway and Keyshawn Wicks yet again, being able to operate and do some great things in the run game with some light boxes in front of them. And then their wide receiver core is able to win in one-on-one matchups because of the scheme of their offense. They get Javon Harvey back for the first time in a while in this game. He plays well. Grant Wilson's a mobile quarterback who's going to keep you into games as long as he doesn't play with mistakes and with turnovers, which he didn't in this game. This team's going to be absolutely golden, I think. If they don't have any turnovers, they lean on their offensive scheme and their off and their defense is able to rise for the occasion. Their conference competition gets a lot stiffer moving forward, especially with a Royal rivalry coming up next weekend. But this team is undoubtedly overachieving right now. They're establishing their brand of football, which they didn't have last year. And I think it is time to take them a lot more seriously in the conference right now. Caden, meanwhile, App State stark contrast right now. They've lost their last two, three of their last four. And without that career long field goal by Michael Hughes versus ULM, they'd be two and five right now. They're in real danger of missing a bowl game again. I went back and looked all the way back to last year. They're three and nine in one score games dating back to last year. Sean Clark C is getting extremely hot, Caden. And next week, it feels like a must win game for this staff. Yeah, next week's definitely a must-win game for this staff. I have no notes on this section at all. I'm just going to let it rip. And I think that there's just – there. we've been talking about, as, as an App State fans, App State community, how the realistic, unrealistic expectations have been set in this place. I mean, when you look at the years upon years of success, 
it's clear to see that the program has taken a step back in the last two seasons. And I think now it's to the point where those expectations don't really matter now. Like in the last two years, you can just look at this team and say it's just a middle of the pack to bad football team. And it has it's not it's not like this team is bad for what they were doing before. This team was six and six last year and is now looking at three and four. Could have very well been two and five, like you mentioned. And some questions have to be answered. This team is not as great as it used to be in finishing ball games. You mentioned their record against opponents in the fourth quarter late in games and one score games they have not been able to rise to the occasion like they have in the past this offense was terrible on third down in this game they haven't been able to generate offense and defense and play complementary football at the clip you'd want if you look statistically even last year offensively this team was fine defensively this team took a step back but everything between the stats is just about the eye test watching a team play and watching how they can compete and this team just is not competing the way they have in the past. So I think this upcoming game is absolutely kind of a Super Bowl and a huge game for Sean Clark and this team, just looking at how much harder their schedule is going to get moving forward. These two games were probably on paper heading into the season, their easiest conference games, and they're lucky to come out of them one and one if they take care of business next weekend, and then they have a gauntlet for the conference schedule. So I think the seat's definitely hotter than it's ever been. There's no denying that this team has not been as good as they have been in the past at winning football games in general, and just schematically, defensively, and offensively, putting together a game plan that sets you up in the fourth quarter to if it is a tight game that you can come out on top. So I think there's a lot of questions to answer with this team, and it's not necessarily X's and O's. It's about philosophy. It's about closing out games and being tougher than your opponent and doing what you got to do simply put old dominion a lot of teams that this team has lost to in the last year and a half have made more plays than app state they've just simply made more winning plays when it matters most and they've beaten app state and that's just not anything that this fan base is used to or this program is used to so they're just going to have to figure that out now moving forward starting next week against the worst team in the conference and if they can't get it done there there's going to be a lot of finger pointing maybe even more finger pointing than we've seen at coach clark this offseason or this season Okay, and all I've got to say is maybe we need you to go off notes more often. Uh, good breakdown right there. Uh, Old Dominion heads to Harrisonburg, Virginia, where they'll play undefeated James Madison on national television Saturday night in the primetime. App State, as we mentioned, welcomes Southern Miss, who's 1-6 coming off of that 55-3 loss to South Alabama to Boone on homecoming. We'll move on. Fifth matchup, Georgia Southern ULM. It was the Eagles that walked away with a 38-28 win over ULM. Kate, and this one felt odd. Jalen White had a great start with two touchdowns. Georgia Southern, they jump out to a 31-7 lead with 201 left in the second quarter. We thought they were going to run away with it. They score a season-high 24 points in the second quarter. But ULM behind the play of, I don't know what it was, Caden, we'll call it a dual-system quarterbacks with Blake Murphy and Jaya Wright. They scored 21 straight points to cut the Georgia Southern lead to three before Tyrell Davis had that game-winning pick six, one of, four turnovers that that defense forced on Saturday in the win. Caden on offense, outside of Jalen White, Davis Brin, and this Georgia Southern offense really underwhelmed. This was the first time in a while, though, that Georgia Southern's defense won them a football game. They gave up 401 yards through the air, but here was the big thing. Four big turnovers, including that game-winning pick six by Davis. They held ULM to just 25% on third down. And Caden, this Eagles team, they're averaging two turnovers first per game this year. I thought this was interesting. They had, they're had they at 14 right now. They had 15 all of last year. This is a game that Georgia Southern probably would have lost last year. Yeah, most definitely. After starting this game off with a turnover and then trading touchdowns, they proceeded to benefit from their defense creating turnovers at an unprecedented level. I mean, this is the exact opposite of Marshall starting on the one-yard line, what it felt like 10 times in their matchup against James Madison. A touchdown drive was followed by their defense forcing two fumbles and an interception in eight plays, and their offense scoring 17 points in seven plays as a result. That's why this team was able 
to get out to a 31-14 lead. That's why this team won the game, truly, and I think that's where it was won and lost between both squads. But definitely as this team went into the second half, you could see them taking their foot off the gas. They didn't score on offense at all. Their defense allowed ULM to get a couple field goals, get into field goal range, put up some points, and make this game close. But you mentioned it. Turnovers are absolutely the issue with this team right now. I think Georgia Southern could have and should have lost this game with the Jalen White fumble that gave ULM the ball back to score. And then Davis Brin throws an awful interception to give ULM the ball back again, down three points with under two minutes left and a chance to win this game. So I think turnovers are definitely going to be a huge key for this team moving forward. And all of their losses, you can see the turnovers are a huge factor in the wins and losses. Tyrell Davis saved the day with that pick six because it felt like ULM was truly going to break the seal finally and come back and get a win that they kind of deserved. But I think Looking forward, yes. If you look at how competitive the East is and moving forward, Georgia Southern, they can't afford to turn the ball over as much as they do. They can't rely on their defense to get this many turnovers as much as they did in this game. And I think they definitely just at least have one clear thing to look at as far as what they need to fix. And it's turning the ball over and it's taking their foot off the gas in the second half as an offense. Caden, uh, another week, another tight loss for ULM. And really, when you look at this ULM team outside of South Alabama, they lost three Sunbelt games by a combined 12 points. And honestly, if you take out this late pick six, it's been five. They're 0-4 in Sunbelt Conference play, but this might be the best 0-4 team ever in the Sunbelt. Their improvement, uh, in my mind, is a great sign down in Monroe. Yeah, my heart aches for this ULM team. I mean, this team has had a lot of fight. They have a lot more competitiveness at their core, I think, but they just still make too many mistakes across the board. And that's truly where they haven't been successful this year. I know if you look at just a few plays at the end of games down the stretch that are highlighted by the Michael Hughes kick field goal that was made. If you look at the pick six in this game, they have those moments, I think, that you can look at at the end of games and say, oh, that's where they won or lost the game. But when you really look at their entire games and what they do, they always get some penalties. They shoot themselves in the foot. They turn the ball over a little bit. And it's just unfortunate to see that despite doing all that, they were able to kind of will themselves and get close to wins and just fall quite short every single time. But I think the wide receivers are talented. They had various career days. Howell's a problem in the red zone. Bugs Mortimer had a career day as a twitchy slot receiver that can create. And then we saw this quarterback rotation that was absolutely unexpected. They were mixing in Blake Murphy in with Jaya Wright, which I was kind of against in the beginning of the game, especially when they were turning the ball over in three consecutive possessions. But then Murphy really kind of created and made some things happen and showed some promise. They didn't really have a rhyme or reason to their rotation. You would see one drive with one guy, one drive with another. You take them out on a play-to-play basis. So I think that didn't let them really get into a rhythm. But you have to like what you see. And it was a little bit promising to see a freshman quarterback show some flashes of some good stuff. They can battle. This team battles. They have their weaknesses. But I think they can really do damage if you they are taken lightly. And hopefully we can see that result in a win for them eventually in conference play this year. But just shout out to them for being a lot more competitive and having a different edge, I think, than we've seen in the past despite some of some of having maybe those same mistakes that we've also seen in the past. Well, as we mentioned, ULM sitting at 0-4 in Sunbelt Conference play. They will welcome Arkansas State, who's 1-2 and in SBC play, coming off that 38-28 loss to Coastal Carolina in Week 8 to Monroe. Meanwhile, Georgia Southern, Caden, quick turnaround. This will be a game that I'm at. They're going to face East favorite Georgia State on Thursday night in Statesboro. That game on ESPN2 should be a fun one down in the borough. Six matchup we'll look at, Kate, and this was Coastal Carolina, Arkansas State. The Shawnee Clears winning 27-17 to over the Red Wolves. Strong game from Coastal Carolina. They scored 17 of the first 20 points in this matchup. Uh, finished, uh, you know, with a 10-0 fourth quarter run. There was a scary moment in that fourth quarter, though, when Grayson McCall had to be carted off. He was sent to the hospital. He had just become the first Shawnee Clear with 10,000 passing yards earlier in the game. Kane, let's talk about that scary moment for Grayson McCauley. He was carted off the field with 11.40 left in that fourth quarter. 
I did see a message right as we were about to record this podcast from Coastal Carolina saying that he's been released from the hospital. He's in great spirits. I think they feel good. It was more precautionary in nature that he went to the hospital. Travion Thomas, Caden, whistled for the late hit in this game. I personally thought it should have been targeting. Aren't these the types of hits that we're trying to get out of the game of football right now? And Caden, this has been a trend lately in the Sun Belt. We saw, you know, last week there was a couple of targeting or not called targeting hits between Georgia State and Marshall. We saw something similar between ODU and App State yesterday, Coastal Carolina, Arkansas State. Caden, as a former defender, what are your thoughts right now on the targeting rule in college football? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. I think when I look at kind of the the penalty that has the most polarization or is the most subjective is pass interference. I find myself on the couch getting more mad about a pass interference being called or not being called versus a targeting because I think we've gotten to the point now where you can see the intent of players and see if it's clear that it's a targeting player or not, especially on quarterbacks. And I think thinking back to my days as a player, my biggest fear was getting a targeting, especially against a quarterback. I knew in my head when I was tackling a quarterback, I'm trying to keep my head out of this as much as possible. Quarterbacks are some of the hardest players to tackle because they can slide. You don't know what they're going to do. They don't think they don't look like they know what they're going to do sometimes when they're running the ball. So they are tough to tackle. But watching Grayson McCall sliding down and getting launched into his head, I thought that was pretty clear. I think the App State call at the end of the game, that was a little controversial. That was a little bit more of a bang-bang play. He was just trying to get Caden Robinson out of bounds and hit him could have put his head in a different location, but that was a little bit more of a bang bang play. But I think when you look at the quarterback position, I think it's very clear that we need to protect this position and we need to avoid those hits. And I thought that hit on Grayson was very clear. And I think it's just all a mental thing when it comes down to playing. You as a defender have to just be cautious now these days and you have to try to get your head out of plays as much as possible. And I think if you're not coming into games and coming into plays with that mindset, you're gonna you can you're gonna be able to cost your team penalties and you're gonna be able to cost the other teams probably their best player. I mean, this has a major impact on Coastal moving forward if this guy's not able to play. This is their best player in school history who's coming off of playing his best brand of football and was playing an excellent first half in this game. And now maybe this week they have to figure out if he's going to play or not. We think he's going to play. He looked like he gave the thumbs up and was promising and looks like he can play. But if this team loses their quarterback now, that's a huge loss for this team that's already behind the ball when it comes to conference play. They're going to need him to play his best football if they want to get back into the conference conference conference. Uh, conference championship conversation and be able to be back in that discussion. And I think we've seen Jared Guest's game in the past is a little bit more limited to Grayson. They were able to win and hold on with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, but they're not going to start their next game with a 10-point lead. And this all comes down to a targeting penalty if this does hurt Coastal even more in the conference competition and the conference standings right now. So I think it's a huge thing that should definitely be looked at a little bit more closely in the sum, but because we've just seen kind of on a weekly basis now some targeting calls that are looking a little bit suspect. You can see it's a little bit malicious sometimes even, and I think it's something that can definitely be a huge detriment to teams, and we saw it in this game when one of the conference's best players was taken out on a stretcher, which you don't want to see happen to any players, but especially a quarterback who's trying to protect himself when they're sliding. Caden, there's a reason they implemented the Kenny Pickett rule that there is no more fake slides. Quarterback slides, you've got to get away as a defender. Caden, Coastal's run game was great in this one. Ran for 186 yards. McCall continues to look revitalized. Their defense comes up with two key interceptions. And then when you look at A-State, they are showing that they're starting to close the gap on the league right now, it feels like. Yeah, this was a great ball game. It was close throughout the entire game. Coastal, like I mentioned, like you mentioned, was able to run the ball great from start to finish. I think that's going to be a key success for them in an area of of strength moving forward if they want to keep pulling out wins. you really love to see it to just compliment the great player of their quarterback who, before he got hurt, was completing 85% of his passes, which was playing masterful. He really kept them in this game afloat along with their rushing attack. I've 
like if if you have to think if Grayson was playing a little bit less effective in this game, if they weren't running the ball, this game could have a different outcome with just how much more competitive Arkansas State is looking. Coastal's defense played amazing on third down. They held the boys to two, two for 11. They caused some key turnovers, which kind of kept Arkansas State at bay throughout this game. But if that goes differently or their offense is playing a little bit differently, we could have saw a closer game and maybe even a different outcome. I think Rainer gives this team so much more of a competitive edge and advantage. Their defense actually played well on third down in this game. Coastal's run game just kind of allowed them to dominate the time of possession. And when the Red Wolves offense was on the field, they only had limited opportunities to capitalize. They had two interceptions from Rainer and had some turnovers. But I think this team is still looking better than ever. I think Arkansas State fans should still be high on their own stock as far as them overachieving and playing more competitive this year. Because I mean, last time they played Coastal Carolina, they had 50 points scored on them. So the fact that they were able to keep this game close, you could say if a couple plays go here or there their way, they had a huge big play to Corey Rucker in this game that only got, they only got a field goal out of instead of a touchdown that could have changed things. So I think Arkansas State is still in a good place. Coastal Carolina looks like they're finding their formula. And ultimately, like we talked about before, the conference is just getting better. And you can see that, especially in this game. Well, Coastal Carolina sitting at 2-2 two and two in Sunbelt play. They're going to return home for the first time since September 21st. They're hosting a Marshall team that has lost their last three games. Meanwhile, Arkansas State heads down to Monroe, Louisiana to face ULM, who's arguably the most competitive 0-4 team in the conference. Gain, we've got time for a quick closing thought from you on the weekend. I can keep harping on it all I want, but this conference is the best group of five conference and it's so competitive and I encourage everybody and I'm going to keep encourage everybody to watch it because there are special players that you see on the field in every single game, no matter what the records are. And I think this was a great slate of games this week, but I think you could argue next weekend is going to be even better slate of games when you just look at some of these matchups that are not only great matchups when you look at what these teams have done this year, but great matchups as far as the conference title race. So I think it's really starting to heat up. You know, we're getting close to November, Noah, and you know they remember November. So I'm just excited to watch this conference, maybe even take another step up as these teams that have already shown they're great are going to have to play even greater if they want a chance to have some postseason success. Well, that will do it for our week eight recap on the Frarian Smith podcast. We're past the halfway point of the Sunbelt season in the league's title races are getting hot. Before you go, here's a quick reminder that we'll be back on Wednesday. We're going to be releasing our latest Sunbelt athlete interview featuring one of this year's biggest breakout stars in the Sunbelt. You're not going to want to miss it. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing for us. Share this podcast with one, maybe two, even three friends. Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.